On Wednesday afternoon, a man named Tim Gianette was streaming on a platform called DLive from inside House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office with a phone up to his ear. Uh, hello. Hello, U.S. Senate. Yes, we have a fraudulent election, I would like to report. Yeah, we need to get our boy Donald J. Trump into office. Yeah, yeah can we do that real quick? Gianette along with hundreds of others, had stormed into the U.S. Capitol. The mob smashed windows, stole property, and injured a police officer who later died. Gianette, whose online name is Baked Alaska, and who didn't respond to a request for comment, was streaming the rampage to his large online following. He's a figure on the alt-right. And he calls himself a comedian, but he's a well-known white nationalist and a very prominent Trump supporter, and somebody who also describes himself as a provocateur. So he's somebody that has a lot of offensive views and likes to be loud and proud about them. When Gianette and the rest of the pro-Trump mob swarmed the Capitol, police were overwhelmed. But the attack was not a surprise because people like Gianette have been plotting a violent day, out in the open, for weeks. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, January 8th. Coming up on the show, the role of social media in Wednesday's attack on the U.S. Capitol. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. The events of this week weren't unexpected because you've got a group that's been very angry. I read the word fight so many times, and not just from Baked Alaska's live streams. I mean, we looked at Facebook groups. We looked inside just on Facebook pages. There were a lot of people on social media that were talking about a looming civil war for months. It, it just wasn't hidden. It was all out in the open. Deepa Sita Raman covers technology. And she says the people who came to the Capitol Wednesday had organized ahead of time on mainstream social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, but also on more fringe ones like Gab and Parler. They hop with a lot of ease between these different platforms and they communicate within themselves. And so within this echo chamber, you have this very active, very potent political movement that emerges because it's just a feedback loop where people feel emboldened by the views they're hearing that agree with their views and are different from what the mainstream media is reporting. Can you describe the ideologies of these groups? 
one of the central beliefs of people who attended Wednesday's riot would be that the president really did win November's election and it's being systematically stolen from him. If you take it a, a deeper level, then, you know, there are a lot of people there that are believers of the QAnon philosophy, which is this sort of loose coalition of beliefs that, among other things, that Donald Trump is being rapidly and continuously undermined by a deep state within the U.S. government. QAnon believers uh, also believe that the elite media and elite political circles are populated with people who you know, drink children's blood and traffic children and are pedophiles, and it gets weirder than that. The internet has been a potent place for those weird conspiracy theories to spread, and social media sites have a range of approaches for how to deal with them. So Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, they have the most stringent content moderation policies. You can't glorify violence. They have hate speech rules. They have a lot of different parameters around um, discussion and designed to keep the conversation civil. The problem there is that these platforms are so massive that enforcement falls through the cracks, right? So a lot of comments that probably should be removed never really get removed because Facebook systems don't detect it or their content moderators don't detect it. Ditto Twitter. But many of the smaller platforms do a lot less content moderation. And then you go a level further and, you know, you suddenly have these social networks like Parler and Discord and Gab. And those sites, you know, their, their sort of whole reason for being is we don't moderate. We're not going to tell you what you can and can't do. This patchwork of rules and policies allowed the groups behind Wednesday's siege to organize in plain sight. The event was posted on big platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And as people would express interest in joining, they'd be directed to smaller sites with looser rules. This is our best understanding of how it worked so far. It starts with Donald Trump sort of saying, you know, join us on January 6th on Twitter. And then people start planning for that specific event. You know, there are flyers that are distributed on mainstream platforms. They are distributed on Instagram, in Facebook groups, etc. And th those flyers, those posts spark a discussion in the comments just about what the preparations will be. And it's exciting. And, you know, we got to fight. We've got to fight for a fair election. And then as you kind of get deeper and deeper, you know, you see people moving to some of these other smaller social media platforms, so Gab and, and Discord and Parler, to discuss things in a more specific way. You know, this is the concealed and carry law in D.C. You know, this is what we would recommend you do. And some of this, by the way, is also on Facebook. Like I mentioned earlier, the platforms have rules, but they are not enforced in any kind of consistent, systematic way. So a lot of things fall through the cracks. So there was a Facebook video in particular that got 45,000 views in which somebody described how to carry pepper spray, how to carry a knife, how to carry a pistol, and suggested to people that this would become violent. And then, you know, it's not against anybody's rules to say, follow me on Parler for more specific information. 
So they'll direct their followers to more specific information that would be on these other fringe sites that don't have content rules and pride themselves on not having content rules. So when you say that this was being planned in the open, what you're saying is it was on a social media site, not like in a private group. It was right there on display. They're pretty open. Did the social networks identify that there was something else going on in the posts in the planning for Wednesday's events? No, they didn't. I mean, this is an event that was promoted by the president. After the break, how the president has complicated things for social media. episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients like 99% pure melatonin to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Even though Facebook and Twitter have the most content moderation policies, they've struggled to deal with false claims from President Trump. Just think of the idea that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. It comes from Donald Trump. It comes from the president of the United States. And then it sort of metastasizes from there on these social platforms. And so they've long been in a bind where Doing anything to tackle disinformation at this level means going against the president. And that has been a long-running tension at all these companies because nobody really wants to anger the president. Nobody wants to anger a political figure who's in a position to regulate you. And so there's been a lot of moments over the course of the Trump presidency where the platforms have had to reckon with something that he said or something that he did or didn't do and make a choice as to whether or not to pull it down. So one prominent example is last summer, right around the George Floyd protests, where Trump said, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And the platforms, I mean, Facebook in particular, left that post up, even though a lot of their employees and a lot of other users thought that that was a call to violence, glorifying violence. In the past, Twitter and Facebook have put up warnings on the president's tweets and posts. This week, they went a step further, after the president posted this on Wednesday. There's never been a time like this where such a thing happened, where they could take it away from all of us, from me, from you, from our country. This was a fraudulent election. After that video was posted, 
both Twitter and Facebook took what is a pretty rare action. They froze the president's account. Initially, Twitter suspended the president's account for 12 hours. But on Friday evening, it permanently suspended his account, quote, due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Facebook decided to keep the president's account locked until he leaves office. CEO Mark Zuckerberg said Facebook was making this move because its platform was being used to incite violent insurrection and that the risks of allowing the president to keep using Facebook were too great. But even after Trump's departure, the platforms will still have to make decisions about less visible influencers who can continue to spread misinformation, like Tim Gianette or Baked Alaska, that guy who broadcast from Pelosi's office on Wednesday. When we alerted Facebook to Baked Alaska's presence, he had a presence on both Facebook and Instagram up until yesterday. After our story ran, they removed Baked Alaska from both of the platforms. The organizing group of Wednesday's rally still has a Facebook page. Yeah. That's, uh, I guess, an example of sort of the inconsistent enforcement of why Baked Alaska uh, got taken down. But, you know, Bo Women for America First, that group that also promoted a lot of Stop the Steal protests around the election last year, uh, remains up. I mean, it's, it's a little confusing. What are the standards? That's a pretty good example of, of some of the seemingly confusing decisions that Facebook makes. The thing is, is because of their inconsistent enforcement, is a lot of these groups spring back up. You know, you'll find last year they took a, a pretty large step to remove groups that celebrated QAnon from their platform. And a lot of groups did did die. You know, I was tracking a few of them and they all vanished. But copycat ones sort of emerged in their place. A lot of QAnon adjacent groups, so pro-Trump political influencers who believe in QAnon views, stayed put. And they continued to be in a position to espouse their the QAnon perspective. And, you know, there are just a lot of a lot of holes. Then you get to sites you know, that revel in free speech and believe that no moderation is the best policy. I mean, there it thrives. So it just, it doesn't really go away. Facebook has taken a harder line in the past, like when it shut down ISIS content. Could it do something similar here? Yeah, it could. Domestic terrorism is a real threat. But it's not a muscle that they've really exercised recently. I mean, they they see ISIS as a very clear threat because it's terrorism and it's terrorism against American citizens. Something like ISIS is an easy call, but how do you moderate the president of the United States? That is an unprecedented situation, but at a company like that, there aren't a ton of norms. So they've been unprepared for how to grapple with this and how to plan for it. And determining when to act can be difficult. Law enforcement officials said they miscalculated the threat level from online posts ahead of this week's attack on the Capitol. What we've heard from U.S. officials is that they believed that the language was hyperbole. They didn't think that that um, talk of a civil war or uh, a second revolution or any of this stuff was serious. They thought that it was common language and that 
you know, it wouldn't get to this point. But what we have seen is that, you know, the discussion online has real world consequences. It has consequences in the form of votes. It has consequences in the form of political discourse in this country, uh, the way that politicians respond to that. And on a more granular level, you know, where people go and what they might do when they get there. You know, events posted on these social platforms, people attend them. And there are real world consequences to online speech. I think, you know, for a lot of us, we think about online conspiracies as the province of sort of tinfoil hat wearing, like, crackpots who, you know, are are ultimately harmless. But when you have the power of the largest social platforms in the world and you have the power of the Internet behind you, these things are actually a lot more potent. And it appears that in this case, law enforcement and U.S. officials were taken aback. They didn't realize what these conspiracy networks were capable of. What happens next in this extremist pro-Trump movement? Some researchers have found flyers promoting events that are going to happen later this month, including one on January 17th. So there are events looming and there's a continued possibility of more violence and more anger. And they're openly planning that, too. That's all for today, Friday, January 8th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is produced by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Engineering help from Katherine Anderson. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Dan Brunel, Peter Leonard, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Joy Crane. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.